0: Welcome to the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser. In my many years as an animator and director, my most defining projects have been my short film, Layers, along with Vanishing Ink and Cirque de Solitude, two books which I wrote, illustrated, and pitched at several studios as feature films. And I have more of these feature film pitches coming soon. Today we are with my new friend, Aaron Fullen. and he is awesome <laughs> <laughs> oh thanks so yeah he, uh, he is a an amazing composer of i as an animator and director i get a lot of messages and emails from people who would like to to work with me as a composer and aaron actually wasn't one of those i just found him and he is one of the most impressive i've i've ever seen at, at our level right because we're all Rising and 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 will soon be the ones making the content that that you get to watch. And he he also composes from Iowa, right? That's correct, right? Yeah, and uh, he's also an actor. So if you go follow his Instagram, you're able to see these little sketches he does. And one of my favorite ones was the one where you distorted your face and. <laughs> <you're done. laughs> Are my eyes too far apart? And then another guy who's like got these big gels, he's like, no, no. (laughs) It was excellent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I'm not afraid to make a fool out of myself, you know?
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and, uh, a little bit of the behind the scenes is we were ramping up and looking forward to this this day when we get to chat together. Aaron and I talked about a situation where we could make a short film where I play the villain and he plays the hero. And we had the funnest text interchanges like we wrote a short film together.
1: I know. <laughs> Next.
0: Coming soon. Coming soon. You'll get to see me play a villain. I know you can't imagine that, but it's possible. So... <laughs> <laughs> we figured out how. We figured out the angle. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the original intent of bringing you on the show is to talk about the director composer relationship. If we want to go into other tangents, that's fine. I, I really am interested in talking to you because there. One of the things that really impressed me. One of my favorite composers is Joe Hisaishi. I think is how you pronounce his last name. He mm-hmm. yep. Composes for the Miyazaki Studio Ghibli films. Yep. And one thing I love so much about him is his classical grounding, but he can also do the other stuff, which yes. I see in you. I've seen footage of you playing classical music that you didn't write and, and some that you did write, it seemed. Mm-hmm. And, and then when I listened to your composing, I could hear that influence. Can you just tell me about your process of, of composing? And-
1: yeah, uh, I'd be happy to. So first and foremost, the early on in my career as a film scorer, a composer for media, is music should always serve a story and it's been that way for a very long time you know hearkening back to the days of opera where it's always the music was fueling the story it was not meant to be a standalone thing no the mixture of drama and music there's something magical about it so everything early on in my music career was if something doesn't serve the story it needs to be scrapped which sometimes means more music sometimes it means less music yeah but it always serves the story so when i come when i work with the director uh, the first thing i want to do is i want to hear their vision i want to hear their ideas because the director as you know is the master storyteller so Uh everyone below them is literally there to help them with that vision so when i sit down with the director let's talk about the film let's review the film you know, and then you do spotting sessions where the director says, I want music here. I don't want it here. And it can be tough. And I've talked with other composers about this because sometimes a musician's opinions conflict with the director. Uh And there's this wonderful relationship where there can be a back and forth. There can be disagreement. A lot of times there is finding middle ground, but in the end, the composer, even if he disagrees, will go, all right, I'll do that for you. Right. And it's, It's just a marvelous thing to see and then the final outcome is this beautiful conglomeration of artistry and artists working together to tell a piece so in summary i always want to serve the story with and that's how i i start composing
0: if you could describe your your dream director and you already got onto the director um, composer relationship already but if you were to describe your degree your dream director what qualities would that director have
1: One is I've always admired visionary directors, ones that break the mold kind of. And one that comes to mind, he's an obvious one, but I think he is one of those landmark directors that did break down a lot of barriers in cinema that paved the way for so many people with Steven Spielberg, uh, where he did not allow the constraints of the industry to get to him, and and he yeah. broke through those to tell stories. You know, you think of of Jaws as yeah. far as he didn't let this malfunctioning monster deter from his vision for that film, and it ended up better than it was, that it, than it would have been had the the shark functioned better for him. Right. Um, same with Jurassic Park. There was not there was not the technology to tell that story well. They had stop motion animation, which was pretty good, but it wasn't as realistic as they could do with a combo of of animatronics and CGI. And it was masterful. And all of a sudden, after 1993, sky's the limit with CGI. So I- a
0: problem. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Alfred Hitchcock, I would say, is another one where he, uh. he broke the norm of- the the constraints that he had. So I admire those people, pioneers, trailblazers, those kind of directors. I'd love yeah. to work with one, someone who is able to think outside the box like that.
0: Hmm, where do you find that director?
1: Oh, who knows? <laughs> who knows, Scott? I'm on the lookout.
0: <laughs> one of the thoughts that I had as you talked about the conflict that sometimes happen with a director and a composer. I actually just had a conversation <laughs> with somebody. As you know, I'm, I'm doing this 50 pitches project where I came up with 50 pitch ideas for films and I'm narrowing them down and then we're having people vote on them to have five, my five next film pitches. The person asked me like, how do you know if it's good and how do you make it good? And, and that sort of thing. And I said, you know, a, a great storyteller is a slave to the story, not a master so it's, it's up to a, a great storyteller to listen to what the story is telling them it needs to be. And, uh, cause sometimes we might have, cause stories contain, they're like vessels of truth, right? And sometimes we might have an idea of what the truth is. And if we force that on the story, I think that we end up doing the story and the audience a disservice. But if we listen and we learn along and grow along with the story, I think that that's, that's the way to do it. Yep. So I think, to me, if I were looking for the ideal composer, it would be somebody who understands that idea that you're a slave to the story and not the master, which I think is what you described. Right. And I, I can't wait to have, you know, more, more composer-director interactions that, that we talk about that, like maybe, and and both of us can challenge our preconceptions of what we thought it should be. And uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting.
1: Yeah, it uh, is.
0: Very inspiring. You also, uh, I can tell you how you love film
1: very much so
0: I think sometimes you, you think of composers as they just think about music but yeah. You can't
1: <laughs> yeah in fact I never had a desire early on when I started composing people had asked me about uh, doing you know for example performance works for orchestra or or choral which I did I did publish when I was like 22 I had my first choral piece published and I I enjoy that process, but very early on, I knew I want to be in the the film industry. It's not, I I don't, don't want to just do music for performance. I want to do it for story. And so I knew that very early on. I didn't want the one without the other.
0: Yeah. I I love that. Yeah. That sounds very familiar. (laughs) (laughs) I actually was always going to go into musical theater. I thought, and Mm -hmm. then, uh, and then it shifted. <laughs> yeah, partially because I wanted to have a family, and the lifestyle of moving all over the place to be in different shows just didn't really uh, didn't work with the future I wanted. Also, right. um, the the people in animation is are very fascinating to me. Hmm. It's uh, you have to you have to be very 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 good to work with for a long period of time, and I've I've met some very genuine wonderful people in the animation industry that I wouldn't have otherwise, right? Yeah. I have met great, genuine people in the musical theater industry. It's just been a great discovery for me, That's why I mentioned it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's a different world as far as in, in, for example, musical theater. There is... And in the acting world, it's very similar, I guess. The, this idea that it's a difficult industry to be in because you're constantly vying for top position. You right. know, so there's this... You can all get along... But you're all thinking, I want more leads in the future. You know, there's this idea of, boy, I don't care if you crash and burn because that's better for me. Whereas in a collaborative process, I'm sure, with animation, Mm -hmm. you're all on the same team. You're all behind the scenes. So there isn't this what can become catty behavior. Yeah. uh, Because you really do feel that teamwork concept. Probably a lot stronger than some actors get to experience. Not that yeah. it's always that case, but I think that there's
0: yeah, that. They, it has seemed more common to me. And everything is up for critique when you, especially in musical theater, you yeah. have your voice, how your voice sounds when you sing, your body type, your face, right. your your dance skills. You know, you, are you a triple threat or you are not? Which right. would be dance, song, and acting? Right. Or, yeah, <laughs> dance, singing, and acting, and and all all of these things just come into play and then yeah it's 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 an interesting it's, <laughs> it's high interesting stress reason. it is high stress and i loved it i yeah. you know i thought i was going to make my whole livelihood out of it. i did over 35 shows between the time when i started wow. and, and my last college performance so or actually i actually did oh, one show sorry. after after my last college performance but <laughs> actually technically that was like four shows so i was part of a, a little a group of people that were performing lots of different things mm-hmm. in nauvoo illinois and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. So
1: that's really neat. Exhausting.
0: <laughs> yeah. you, and we would actually switch casts. So you would play one role at one o'clock and then at three o'clock you were playing a different role.
1: <laughs> that's intense. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, good for you. I mean, you have that experience under your belt now. And oh, it was, it was wonderful. And it's going to inform so much of what you do in the industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, wanted to go back to something you said earlier and, oh yes, uh, about this. Um, I'm really intrigued about this break the mold director Yeah. and what, what would you think? Cause I can tell you studied them cause you're trying to look for them, right? What would you think this break the mold director, what qualities make them that break the mold director? I, I think you touched on the idea of they're willing to embrace the limitations. Yeah. Are there any others?
1: Yeah, I think part of it is, I think a a quality is a willingness to fail because I think so many directors just want to meet the status quo. And that's Mm. partially because I think studios impose that on directors, production companies where they say, all right, we want this. This is the formula. It works every time we look at the numbers this type of film always earns this sort of profit. So don't mess it up. Keep it in that
0: Mm -hmm.
1: world, you know? Whereas a lot of times the more artistic, less formulaic films often are indie produced just because studios can't really bank on those kind of risks very well. And so I think directors who are willing to do that oftentimes start out, at least start out willing to fail because they see something that they want to do and they're, they don't know. It's not been explored yet. So they don't know how it's going to land uh, with audiences, but they have a vision and they're willing to do whatever it takes to do it. And let's face it. Artists are typically very good at failing because we have tried so many different things. (laughs) And that's why we get better and better and better because we learn from every denial we get. We learn from every failure and we're not quick to give up. So that I think is a huge great quality to have. You cannot be in this industry and not fail. (laughs) And so that's just part of it. I would say a great example of someone who took a vision that didn't fit a formula and it became a successful hit was La La Land. I don't know if you saw that, but it literally took the concept of old MGM musicals from the fifties. Fast forward 65 years, and <laughs> let's try this again, shall we? And it totally surprised everybody. And kudos to I think it was Lionsgate that actually was finally funded that film. He tried to get a whole bunch of other studios, it was a risk because no one really does that anymore. We this doesn't quite fit what we think will work. Um, and it proved them wrong. So I love success stories like that where someone yeah, too. This is the movie I want to make. If this studio says no to me, I'm going to move on. If this studio says no to me, I'm going to move on. If this studio says, well, can that, good idea, but let's do this. No, I know exactly what this is going to look like and what I want to do. And then finally, someone says, all right, go for it. We're going to help you tell this story. And then it's ravingly successful. I love those kind of success stories. Yeah. And those are the kind of directors I'd, I'd love to work with.
0: Awesome. And talking about this failure trying again approach. One of my favorite topics is leitmotifs. Mm. And how, how do you write a great theme?
1: Yeah. Whew. Well, Uh, I think the the king of leitmotifs in the film music industry is John Williams. Hands down. He understands. And the people that work with John understand that that's his strength. You know, that people who want more atmospheric, maybe more subtle approach to film music, they don't hire John Williams, because John is, is every score he writes, almost across the board, has memorable leitmotifs. You will <laughs> walk away from the film, and you'll think of the theme. Whereas a lot of, like for example, Hans Zimmer scores a bunch of, uh, like Dunkirk, where the score is so subtle, you probably won't walk away thinking about it, or you know, it's stuck in your head, but it, it totally worked and it totally was a masterful way to to tell the story musically. But John Williams approaches every film that he comes, he says, everyone should have a theme. Everyone should have a musical footprint that goes into this film. And it makes things so much more memorable, even if it's subtle. You can do it subtly, but... When he sits down, he wants to first find a memorable theme before moving on, and he puts in so many hours. He's—I'm yeah. like—he is the reason I went into film scoring.
0: Well, and I've heard a certain film executive say that you were the next John Williams. So <laughs>
1: that was probably the biggest compliment I would ever received. Yeah, and uh, I actually did a a Star Wars like uh, arrangement myself. Uh-huh. And I sent it to the orchestrator of the new Star Wars films, William Ross. And he's a he's a composer himself, but he responded with a very thoughtful kind, like, you are on the right track, my friend. So those kind of affirmations from people who work with John Williams mean the world to me. Yeah. So that when I write music, when I sit down and write a, a melody, I'm the same way. I will sit down. And I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to find a theme. What?
0: You're actually sitting when you write it?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. I I sit at the piano. That's my first sit down.
0: I pace. (laughs) Yeah? And sing to myself. Or I do it my way to work or whatever. Yeah.
1: Okay. Do you ever like pull out your phone or a recorder and like... I
0: need to do more of that.
1: Yeah. I've heard people say in the film music industry that that's huge. And I've never done that because
0: yeah. I no, guess I thought the other day I should do it. Yeah. As you know, I have this musical pitch that I nearly have a producer for. So it's amazing. <laughs> so I started thinking about all the music, right? Cause we've already written the opening song and, but I have big plans for the rest of it. And I noticed that while I was working out in the morning, I was just having all the, these ideas and then they were gone at the end of the day. And I was like, mm. yeah, I had a recorder with me.
1: It's tough. You yeah. never know when they're going to strike, when creativity is going to strike. Right, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I'll sit down at I'm the piano, down. Yeah. come up with a a line, like eight bars of a memorable melody line that until I'm like, oh yeah, this totally will stick in my mind, then I feel like this is going to work. But until then, right. I, my worst nightmare is to write music that just falls flat. So yeah. mm-hmm. I've heard so many people uh, say, I don't move on until I feel the emotions that are necessary. Because if I'm not feeling it, why would I expect audiences to get right. this, like, oh, well, I'm not sad, but I'm banking on the audience to ball their eyes out. Probably not going to happen.
0: But yeah.
1: Um, so it is, it's so important to have leitmotifs to... Propel a story forward And I think Success of some films Were because of The leitmotifs You know Psycho comes to mind Jaws comes to mind um, Where literally the music Drives the memories Of someone's experience With that film Which is not a bad thing I think some people think The music shouldn't Well that's not always the case Sometimes the music should
0: Yeah Well I think of those cases the music wasn't calling attention to itself though. Right. I think right. that music the composer listened enough to the story to know this is what I do with the music at this point and that's what made it memorable.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I think sometimes different things stick out in different films even though they're all all helping the story, sometimes the cinematography stands out and that's fine because people will remember the cinematography that helped tell that story. Sometimes it's going to be lighting. I noticed lighting in La La Land was, and coloring, color grading was phenomenal, but it doesn't detract from the story. It's just different things stick out in different films that help make it a memorable experience.
0: Yeah. Now I'm going back on the flip side too, because there's a certain, I don't want to call anybody out individually. So there's a certain movie where in the middle of the film, it's a period piece. So that narrows it down a little bit, but this is, this is in a world that's not nowadays, right? It's not, it's set back several years. It's set in a, a kind of a remote type of location. And so you think that those people would have their own way of speaking, their own way of their own style of music and that sort of thing. And, yeah. and there was one part of one song where I just knew that I saw the composer, the, the lyricist in particular, and it, it really bothered me because oh. it stuck out like a sore thumb, not out. It didn't stick out like, Oh, that was an amazing moment. Yeah. It stuck out like, Oh, why? No, no. Why did you do
1: that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a, it can stick out in good ways or a bad ways. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. And I, I can see the way an artist would want to do that. Right. Cause we kind of want our thumbprints to be on things, but yeah, I, I keep telling myself, don't do that. You know? I know. Don't put it in the story because you want it there. Put it in the story because it belongs there and it's yeah. the right
1: Well, yeah. and I think it's, it's okay to... I wonder if we're thinking of the same film. Maybe not. So I will also do the same thing and respect the not calling out. But yeah. I think I'm a very old-fashioned in some ways composer in the sense that sometimes it works. I think a lot of times it doesn't. Where I watched this... It was a super popular musical that was turned into a film. I watched the film... It was set, invented like 1800s, early 1900s, and the music was modernized. And so it felt like a pop album connected to something that came out, you know, something that took place 150 years ago. And for me, it was a very distracting, Uh, maybe not for everybody else, but for some reason, I just could not. They did not belong married, in my opinion, and it completely wrecked my viewing experience of it.
0: Oh, you'll have to tell me what, what it is after. because yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. So, in my, again, not always the case, but a lot of times I, I admire when people produce music that's appropriate to the time or yeah. culture accurate, cu- culturally accurate, those kind of things. I just think that that's a anything that keeps everybody in where where the story is supposed to be anything that like you mentioned anything that jars you out of the story shouldn't be there it just shouldn't
0: yeah and you don't want to think I won't say that one (laughs) (laughs) Because it's hard. It's it's, it's very difficult. We're, we're talking about a very subjective thing here, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I was about to not say, I think it's okay to say it, is that you don't want to think in the middle of the film, oh, yeah, that composer is so brilliant. He wrote that brilliant lyric. But then on, I, I wouldn't really want to think that on the first view, but I would love to think that after, right?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm going back through my mind and repeating the story. Or on the second view, like, I'm like, oh, that was a brilliant little moment. But I don't really want to have that experience through the middle of it.
1: yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah, I think maybe that's where you draw the line. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I I am interested, since you're, you've very clearly laid out a lot of things that I, I thought it would take us a little bit longer to discuss. I would like to talk. Oh, actually, no, no. There's another thing that I'd like to talk about composing. I was going to go on to your acting subject. <laughs> oh. But you did have this campaign, this social media campaign you were creating to get, was it Chris Pratt's? Chris Pratt, yep. Chris Pratt's attention. Yes. How did that go? What did you learn from that? And
1: Remember what I said earlier about failure? (laughs) That (laughs) is...
0: Very public failure, right?
1: Yeah, that was one thing that I learned from it. It, Overall, it was a very beneficial experience in the sense that I was, for those of you who don't know what I did, Chris Pratt started a new production company, was supposed to be very Mm patriotic-focused. Chris Pratt's very... Patriotic. He's kind of goes against the mold of some of the Hollywood culture. I'll just put it that way. Um, and just seemed like someone I'd love to work with. So uh when I saw that he was starting a production company, I wanted to be early on in the process reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to write music for some of your films that come out of this production company. So I'm like, well, how do I get his attention? Obviously, you don't contact. One thing I've learned, you don't just reach out to agents or managers or publicists with just, hey, you know, uh, they don't want to hear from you. They really don't. If you don't have money, they don't want to hear from you. And that's just the cold, hard truth. So I was like, well, I got to get creative. So I made a video every single day for 26 days. Very humorous. My uh, humor is a big reason for that people follow me on social media. Um, I have 200,000 followers on Facebook. And that's where a majority, a lot of them came from just liking funny videos. So yeah. I I did, they were, they ranged anywhere from like two to three minutes and they got quite a following. Like a lot of people really enjoyed it. A lot of people were pulling for me, sharing it, tagging Chris. Yeah. And then I did finally establish contact with his publicist who basically was like, thanks, but no thanks kind of thing. But the one thing that did come up, which is a great segue, Scott, the one thing that did come out of it is I now have an acting agent. (laughs) So that she had watched my Chris Pratt videos and she reached out to me (laughs) and said, I think you have acting talent. Would you want to try an audition? And I said, sure. I was thinking about acting when I graduated from high school, but it just didn't go that way. And then, I did the audition. She said, yep, I think you can do this. Two weeks two weeks later, she added me to her roster. And boom. Now I'm doing auditions yeah. almost every week. So it's pretty fun.
0: Oh, that's very so, frequent. That's that's
1: Yeah. Frequent. Yep. And I just started over the summer is when I I think it was June when I officially joined. Um, And I've done a short film. I did uh, a commercial for Samaritan's Purse. Mm -hmm. And then I have two, one series that's shooting next summer that I'm, I was booked for. And then another uh, feature film that uh, is current. The script is currently in the film festival circuit. Okay. Winning some awards. um, Mm. And I'm attached to that project. So it's been Wild, because I'm still doing music, I'm still doing acting, and I also have a part-time tourism job, and I do social media. So, a little bit of everything.
0: Just showing people around Iowa, or?
1: Illinois, actually, because we're right on the Iowa-Illinois border, and I oh. work over in Illinois for a, a town called Fulton, Illinois. They have a okay. authentic Dutch windmill, one of, like, four in the nation. <laughs> so...
0: Come on down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sounds like a great place to visit. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> For a windmill.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, hey, uh, if you're Dutch. <laughs>
0: if I'm Dutch. I actually have Dutch in my blood, I think. I'm oh, there
1: you sure. go. You have no excuses now.
0: Yeah. My name actually comes from a Native American. Wiser. Yeah. Which you people think German, right? But then people ask me, do I spell it W-E-I-S-E-R or W-I-S-E-R? And it's W-I-S-E-R. Right. It's because he was a Native American chief and they baptized him a christian and the catholic church would change your name back then
1: no way so as a
0: token of honor and i think his first name was james or something <laughs> it was either james or john i can't remember i'll have to go back and look at the that's fascinating oh, and, then the, and then another funny thing is that uh, the the furthest ancestor that i can find like his i think it's his grandfather his name is new moon if you translate it, so I'm about to sue Stephanie Meyer. And, not really. <laughs> oh, that's awesome for, for taking my great, 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 great grandfather's <laughs> name for her book. <laughs> so,
1: Everybody's suing somebody nowadays. You might as well.
0: Yeah. Oh, there's no use suing. <laughs> well, I guess there's some circumstances where it might be, but that would be ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. So. Yeah. Enough about ancestry, though. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about. And we'll probably do this a little bit earlier in the segment, just because uh, this is. I think this has been very good information, and it's okay for an episode to be a little bit shorter. So this is a this is a deep question. Okay. All right. <laughs> so we can take time to discuss it. And usually, when I say the question, uh, people are like, "Repeat that." So it's okay if I have to repeat the question. Okay. So it's called the Get Wiser Moment. The question used to be, what is the responsibility of a storyteller or filmmaker to the world? And usually the answer was some variation of truth. And so now the question is, if my goal as a filmmaker and storyteller is to get the highest clarity of truth into a story, what is the best approach?
1: Highest clarity of truth in a story? Yeah. Okay. Okay one thing that i think is vital to remember in storytelling is it has to resonate with a very large audience the experiences of a large audience space so the best way you know you talk about clarity of truth to tell a story is to find something that deeply affects in some way shape or form the inmost being of a large group of people. And uh, to me, my favorite stories have this element. And and I've been to a number of of classes about how to write stories. And whatever you believe, you know, me as a Christian, you see, to me, so many of the greatest stories that are ever told in film, in books, in theater, however it's packaged, borrow from the greatest themes from the greatest story ever told, which to me really is just one more affirmation of of the truth. And this idea of creation, fall redemption that there's so that's story like with without those three elements in a story, yep. oftentimes it falls flat. So if if you don't adhere to those kind of storytelling, Uh, principles, your truth is not going to be conveyed as powerfully as it could with those things in it. So for me, I think it has to be relatable. Mm -hmm. And it it has to include all the elements uh, of a great story because I just think we as humans long to enter into something, have this desire for I want others to know or to feel the same way I I feel, you know, or to know the things that I go through. I think that is just a natural yearning in in people, and so that's why they a lot of times go to the screen, they go to the theater, or watch stuff on yep. their computer because they want to not feel alone or or like an isolated individual. Right. Um, so I I even
0: heard uh, recently a philosopher, and and it makes sense to me. And I don't think that some people liked it when he said it, but mm-hmm. he said that film watching a film is a, is a religious, mm-hmm. religious process. Um, Cause you're going and you're watching something together and trying to, to look into something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. I really like your example of finding a large group of people. And I actually, this was part of the conversation with that same person before I came here, mm. uh, who was asking me about, you know, when I said that you need to be the slave to the story, not the master. I also talked about the, uh, a concept that a lot of people like to refer to as the collective unconscious. And what that really is, is you have, you have somebody down in Africa and you have somebody, you know, up in Alaska, maybe that, those are pretty far away. Right. Yeah. And where do their experiences overlap? And then you take like the six plus billion people who are on the world or on the earth today. It's yeah. more than like seven now, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it <laughs> is.
0: To the count. But, um, you, you, you intersect their experiences, and what where's the intersection there? Yeah. And to me, that's where the greatest amount of truth is found. I think that sometimes if – and I'm getting a little bit – and I'm probably going to lose people here, right? I'm, I'm probably going to be going down a road that I might make some people mad. I I'm, apologize for that if you get mad. <laughs> but I don't apologize for my desire to know the truth. So no. if you look at the films that came out in Nazi Germany – those actually did resonate with a high population of people. It resonated to all the Nazis. But if you take it out of that, you take it out of the, the ideologies and the beliefs that they had, you show it to somebody else. It looks like, what in the world is this thing? I don't yeah. do it.
1: Yeah. At
0: that point, you're making propaganda. And and I think that we're kind of at risk nowadays of making propaganda.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And,
0: and we're at risk always, actually. <laughs> it's not just nowadays. Right. We're always at risk of, like I said earlier, you know, taking what I think is the truth and then imposing that on the story. You're right. Yep. And there's a film that people who know me closely, I, I won't say which one it is, but um, I critique it really, 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 really thoroughly. But it's because it's a film that I liked the first couple of times I saw it, but there were these little red flags that went up. Hmm. And then over time, I've realized like how dangerous a lot of the ideas in this, this film are. Yeah. It, it's, it's been a fascinating and, and wonderful process. And at the same time, it, it amplifies my responsibility. I think <laughs> as a storyteller.
1: Oh, very much so. And I think, I think people realize that, that whether we like it or not, the entertainment industry has incredible amounts of power. They to do. influence <laughs> the worldview, the moral code, the, political ideologies, the shape so much of a human. And that's an incredible responsibility because it can be, again, used for good or for ill, which so many things can. I think going back a little bit to what you said about the best films tapping into this overlap group globally, this worldwide influence. And I I immediately think of a, a few films that really... It is possible, even across languages, to tap into, you know, for example, fear. Fear is a a universal experience. Yeah. So if you tap into a common fear, it's probably going to resonate. Right. Everybody experiences love, loss, rejection, Mm -hmm. those kind of themes. Those aren't merely a cultural thing, they are. Worldwide, they're universal. They're global. Yeah. Um, so if you can hit on those things and do it really well, your audience base is huge. Yeah,
0: it is. It absolutely is. Well, another thought, because you you mentioned you're a Christian. I know I called it the collective unconscious. I personally would call it God, but it, it's it's interesting to see again. Those are two ideas that overlap again. Mm-hmm. Some people think that God would be just an idea, but they would maybe adhere to the idea of collective unconscious. And I think it's important also to start coming together and saying, am I describing the same thing in a different way? And that's a really, a really fascinating conversation Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think your thoughts have been, been very excellent. And uh, is there anything you'd you'd like to, any topic you'd like to talk about? Actually we have three more minutes, (laughs)
1: three more minutes. No, I I, I'm just honored that you gave me the opportunity to, talk I always I'm always so encouraged and you know inspired when I talk to other fellow artists who are equally inspired you know and uh, I think so much good comes from it from even when your focuses are different you know you're in the animation world I'm in the music world but there's so many overlaps and there's so much mutual encouragement that comes from just talking about our industry and, and our work and the meaning behind it and the drive behind it. So I'm just always encouraged and I appreciate the the time to do this. This has been really, really great.
0: Yeah, I agree. Very inspiring words to wrap up with as well. I, I now want to go make something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do it. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it, well, let's, let's give people your Instagram if they want to follow you. It's, it's, Instagram.com slash
1: Aaron Fullen. Yeah. Same with Facebook.
0: Same with Facebook. Yep. And uh, you also know where you can find me at scottweiser.com slash follow or my Instagram and Twitter are scottkweiser. And until next time, I hope that we all get a little wiser. You have been watching the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser. Audio version edited by Kiera Horowitz. Copyright Scott Weiser LLC 2020.